0: Well, hope um, and Marie and the family are having a good time, vacationing somewhere, getting some rest, getting some refreshment. So, getting a break. So, well, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Let's get started. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you uh, for this uh, wonderful sunny morning. Father, thank you for one of your many blessings, especially that those that come through your Son, the wonderful gift of salvation, the gift of your Word, the gift of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for all of these things. And Father, we, uh, we commit this time in our study this morning as we uh, look through uh, the change in Paul's life and uh, as uh, we will examine things from your Word this morning from Acts chapter 9. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope um, I can count on maybe some participation, some scripture reading from those of you we'll be hopping through. Um, um, This morning, we're going to look at the conversion of Paul. And our main text this morning will be in Acts chapter 9. But before we go there, we'll turn a little ahead of that and uh, look at um, Acts chapter 6, um, 8 through 10, and we'll kind of look at the event that led up to all this. And uh, because it's always good to get context. And uh, so.
1: Do you want us to read around around like we normally do? Hmm? What's that? Well, normally we would read around verse, verse section. Oh, okay. You you know, um, I don't have
0: anything like that. But uh, I will have some longer things maybe later on. So this will be changed up a bit. Okay. So let's turn Let's start with Acts chapter six. Okay. We'll be starting with verse 8. Let's see, let me get there too. Um, Acts 6, let's see, um, verse, yeah, uh, starting with verse 8. I don't know if someone would like to read verses 8 through 10 for us.
2: Yes, Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which were called Libertines and Syrenetians, and of Alexandria, and of them Cilicia, and of Asia, and disputed with with Stephen. But they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake.
0: So before we get to, um, get to what's with uh, with Paul, or Saul, um, we're looking at Stephen right now. Um, and Stephen was making a, uh, making a big impact with the preaching of the gospel, and he was going into the synagogues and sharing the gospel there. And this particular synagogue, I think this is we're situated in Jerusalem, was one called the Synagogue of the Freedmen. So it had a wide group of uh, people there, and uh, he was making his message known. Um, and as we see, Stephen was a very gifted, powerful speaker, and, uh, and so he was uh, making a huge impression upon those that were in the synagogue. And um, as we see also, this begins to kind of start wrangling the Jewish people a little bit as there's, we start seeing a rebellion against the gospel. Um, in fact, so much so um, as we move on in our study, and if someone would read verses 11 and 12.
3: Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, "We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God." They stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes. So they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin.
0: So, uh, so how we now? Now we're yep. Now the the Jews are getting uh, worked up about the message and. Um, it's interesting, we start seeing some really serious pushback against the gospel uh, by, by the Jews and, uh, and, and Stephen's message. And so this is kind of anyway, setting the stage of what's going to happen down the road. Um, in fact, let's see, I made a note here, looking ahead to... Um, this is 151... So the Jews, well, they were going to get ready to come up with a plan and want to include some false witnesses, false testimony against Stephen. So what are we going to, you know, trying to figure out what are they going to do with this character? Well, as we um, begin to look, move into um, Acts chapter 7, so Stephen presents this. This is a great passage, by the way. I enjoyed reading through Acts 7 because Stephen's sermon is just, I think it's just a tremendous walk through the Old Testament in a condensed form, kind of like as we used to say in the, the Reader's Digest form. But he starts with Abraham and takes walks all these Jews through Jewish history and, um, and basically paints a picture that uh, as much as the Jews took a lot of pride in their and being descendants of Abraham, well, Stephen paints a different picture of what the Jews were you know, really like and as the, as he was showing that uh, they were rebellious stiff-necked people through all the, all the generations leading up to um, to the crucifixion of Christ and so this is something that uh, we see it um, and we begin to see the response in fact in chapter 7 verse 51 I'll read this passage here, you men who are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart, and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. See, Because remember, they, they, they all took pride in being descendants of Abraham. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who left, who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels, yet did not keep it. So, so that's the kind of the summation of, um, of Stephen's sermon there, and, um, and just after, again, a, a tremendous, powerful uh, message that he delivered there in the synagogue. Um, so what happens next? Well, what is the response to uh, Stephen's message? Well, after he told them they were guilty of breaking God's law and crucifying Christ on the cross... We moved to, in fact, uh, moving to verse 54, chapter 7. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth at him. Wow, what a response. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... So, um, so, what's the next thing that happens? Well, um, in fact, let's look at verses 57... Um, 57 and, oh yeah, let's have, someone could read here verses 57 and 58, chapter 7.
4: But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside
0: their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay. So at the very end of verse uh, verse 58, we have the mention of a man named Saul. And so he's there in, this, in the midst of all this. Um, in fact, it, uh, let's see. So we meet Saul here. And who is this Saul? What do we know about him? Well, for those of us who've been through the studies of uh, Paul's life, we know that uh, Paul, Saul, was well-educated. He was um, under one of the great teachers, Gamaliel. Uh, I believe he was trained in Jerusalem. Um, Paul's hometown was Tarsus. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was a Roman citizen because of his father. So he got some rights and privileges there. And so uh, that's who we meet, this this guy. And then finally, um, in fact, let's see, picking up here, um, so verse... 58, um, 59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord. Let's see, did they, and witnesses laid upon, did we have read 57, and, or maybe back up to 58. Let's do that. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, what a wonderful picture of, um, you know, in the midst of all this. Stephen, you know, was willing to say, you know, Father, forgive them for what they're doing. Um, um, I think just an amazing picture of who this who this man was. And uh, just a tremendous example for the early church. So um, anyway, so falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And uh, so that's kind of our lead up to our, our next chapter, and looking at um, Paul, or Saul, still, I guess, at this point in his life. So, let's see, here we have it. So, if anyone would like to read, let's see, well, let's see, read chapter 8, let's look at verses 1 and 2.
1: On that day, a great pro fruit... Persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, Stephen and mourned deeply for him.
0: Okay, so um, so it seems like now it's almost open season for persecution for the young church, and um, so. Um, and now that uh, looks like Paul is now Saul is on the move to begin um, getting things in place, so he can go out and really, um, uh, really start ramping things up against the young church and start arresting people. So he's um, he's a he's a man with a man with a plan, so to speak. Um, so let's see. Okay, first. bit of moving on here. To yeah, it says here in verse three. Yeah, look, pick it up in verse three. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So, um, so here's here's what here's what Paul or excuse me, Saul was up to. As we look at this, it seems like. Um, and then, of course, uh, his plan is that he, he was on the road to—he's um, on the road to Damascus, and—and um, and one of the things I was looking at is we're looking ahead too that uh, I was asking the question myself, and maybe here's—I'll throw this out to anyone: Why was Damascus maybe a target city for, for Saul? Any thoughts of why that was a? What was what was why was um, Damascus in the sights? Of, of Saul at this point. What did he... Anybody thoughts, He's background? Been, um, strategically in the geographical location and I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's well it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant city. Damascus, it looked like as the church was beginning to grow and going beyond the, bo- the bounds of Jerusalem, Damascus was a place where evidently the gospel really began to take hold. And was there was bidding to be quite a, a group of believers that were in that city, and so it it just I think it it, it put it on um, Paul's radar, Paul, Saul's radar, and so um, that's um, that's kind of why I think Paul was uh, on the move in that direction, and it was of course a, I think a significant commercial center as well. So, so continuing on here, okay. In fact, as we let's see, should move ahead. Maybe let's do this. Um, I maybe we're still in Chapter Eight. Um, let's, see. let's let's move ahead. Um, I'm not looking at my notes here. Let's, yeah, let's move ahead to Acts chapter 9. Kind of jump ahead a little bit. And, um, and let's look at the first couple of verses of this chapter, if anybody would like to read verse 1 and 2.
1: Meanwhile, Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he found so that if he found any that were there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners.
0: Jerusalem. Yeah, so there again, there's the, in verse 9, the fact that uh, Paul was looking at, he was definitely headed to Damascus. Um, so like I said, he was laying the groundwork to step up persecution of the church there. And he was, you know, and so... Um, and he was going to get all get all his proverbial ducks in a row. Get the paper signed. Get the approval of the high priest. All these things set, you know, to set out to his um, his uh, destination of Damascus. I've got some notes. Phil, that Damascus is 150 miles from Jerusalem. Oh, okay. It's saying kind of what you said that as Christians, what Jerusalem and persecution began. They yeah said. Yeah, yeah, 150 miles, miles, so that's, for us, I guess it would be from here up to, well, of course, Seattle's not not quite that far, but, yeah, (laughs) it's
2: not a bad drive,
0: or maybe, you know, so.
1: Bill, was Damascus a bigger city uh, area than Jerusalem? Not sure. population wise
0: you know i don't know how it compared to the size of jerusalem at that time well
1: know, and sitting here thinking this is almost like a, a shot of coke that you know they wanted to keep wanted to keep it within jerusalem where they could control it and uh, the uh, people being saved not what letting it get loose and so they went to a bigger area or something I yeah wondering.
0: yeah because because um, Damascus, let's see, I'm trying to... Hmm. Now, Damascus is, was the capital city of Syria? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm trying to think. So, again, I just... Uh, it probably yeah,
4: was a big city. Yeah. And outside of Israel.
0: Yeah, outside of Israel. And so it was definitely a sure sign that the gospel was really taking hold out beyond. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still... Right, right, so, yeah, so, yeah, because, you know, they're still going into the synagogues, yeah, at this point, right. Um, in fact, you know, it's funny, it's just, it's, this is, you know, just looking at Saul, you know, you know, just jumping back to chapter 8, verse 3, where it says, you know, Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off. So, again, this, you can see, this is something that Paul had been working on for A while to 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 go after the church, so um, but you know. So Saul's relentless pursuit to put disciples in prison had not changed. Uh, We can almost you know, like I say, can almost feel the emotion, you know, that the way that the way that this passage reads, the way what was propelling Saul at this point. It was just a just amazing um, the level of you know, just like I say, he was relentless. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mine has a note on verse 2 it says that several trade routes linked Damascus to other cities throughout the Roman world. Saul would have thought that by stamping out Christianity in Damascus, he could prevent that spread to the other parts of the area.
0: Yeah, so there was a real strategy behind this, yeah. And um, so it's um, interesting to see that. Well, <laughs> as we move on, things are about to take a change for Saul as we move on in chapter 9. And if someone will read the next three verses, let's look at verses 3, 4, and 5, if someone would like to read those. Now as he journeyed, it came to
2: pass that as he was come near to Damascus, suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who thou persecute. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks."
0: Okay, so so there was a light that flashed around Saul. Um, you know, examining the situation here a little bit too, we have Saul traveling to Damascus. He's traveling, I think in some of the other accounts, I think in Acts 22 and 26 for Paul's describing I think it was right around noon this this bright light now I'm I'm just trying to in my own mind thinking okay this is okay this is the east eastern edge of the Mediterranean bright midday sun what made this light so more intense more dramatic than what was already out there you know Paul was he was in the middle of the day this you know uh, it had to have been something extremely exceptional. This is what I just I, I just thinking about this a lot. It was um, I thought it was just a fascinating aspect. So, so like I say, the light was something extremely exceptional that exceeded the day's brightness. Um, and as we look back at um, reading it, uh, let's see, looking at verse four, reading that again, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, "Saul, Saul." Why are you persecuting me? And, um, you know, what's. Ask me, isn't that an amazing question? Um, what makes that kind of a, unusual? Why are you persecuting me? Did anybody think of that? It's
4: very personal. It's, it's personal. Like the Lord is
1: taking this. And we know. This is yeah. Christ, and it's
0: taking yeah. 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 I mean, the voice doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Why are you persecuting persecuting? Can't get it now. Persecuting me. Um, so I thought, wow. Um, and, and we could, you know, we can just look at this a little bit. The fact that, you know, as individual believers in Christ, we have this very close union with Him when we're made a part of His body. And I thought so much so when Paul was after the church here um, in in its in early days. It was a personal affront, personal attack on Christ Himself, and we see that in the in the in the question here. And I thought, you know, I think maybe we as Christians just have to stop and reflect on this a little bit about how important our relationship is Christ, you know, in Christ, how important it is. Um, so I just, um, you know, this is, this is something that struck me years ago, and it's always been something that's always stuck with me. I thought, going, oh, wow, okay, so. Um, so anyway, it's it's kind of it's like I say again a very amazing amazing effect. So so here we have a beautiful picture of the believers union in Christ. Um, we have it summed up well in Paul. In fact, let's oh uh, we want to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter twelve and look at verse twenty 1 Corinthians twelve.
4: He doesn't, he doesn't speak in defense of himself he doesn't skirt you know try to get out of the persecution and the beatings that are but yet when his church is you know targeted it, it is um,
2: concerning him
0: you know, yes personally. yeah oh yeah absolutely um, I was gonna say first uh, first corinthians uh, 12 27 um, um just to kind of, uh, I don't know if anybody's there who could like to read that real quick. It's just, just verse twenty-seven, verse well.
3: Now you are the body of Christ, and the individual members of it.
0: Right. So, um, what a, yeah, what a great truth to remember, and uh, like I can see brought out in this whole situation with, uh, with Saul. So uh, yeah. So again, there's that inseparable union that exists between every believer and Christ. An attack on any Christian, a true follower of Christ, is an attack on Christ himself. Anyway, what wonderful news. And Saul, soon to be Paul, you know, obviously when he wrote it down in his uh, letters, he, he knew full well from Christ himself what, uh, you know, what the believer's um, relationship, union, with how, how close that was. So, as we move, move on, looking, going back to Acts chapter 9. Uh, let's see, picking up. A... So, we have Saul's response and that, yes, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So, there's uh, the Lord speaking to him. Um, Saul at this point did not recognize. Saul at this point did not recognize who was speaking to him, yet Saul at this least realized it was a supernatural being who now identifies himself. Um, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Again, we have a personal reply, whom you are persecuting. So um, it's, again, reminded of the personal connection between believers and, and the Lord. Continuing on, uh, looking, at verse, uh, looking at verse 6. Uh, let's see, I'll read verse 6. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. So Saul is going to be given some new marching orders here um, from the Lord himself. Um, and as we mentioned um, mentioned before, um, in the book of Acts, chapters 22 and 27, we have Apostle Paul, his own personal recounting of his conversion. In fact, I thought maybe what we'll do, we'll turn forward to Acts chapter... and we'll read a section um, starting with verse 6. Um, Verses 6
2: through
0: 10. Acts 22, starting with verse 10. Could someone read verses 6 through 10? Did I say that right? Okay, yeah. Acts 22, 6 through 10.
1: About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Keep going. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. Who shall I, what shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go to Damascus. There you will be told... All that, you
0: have, all that you have been assigned to do. Yeah. So, let's see. So now the Lord is getting ready to commission Paul for a whole new purpose in his life. As he begins to become soon the new minister of the gospel. Um, so, let's
1: he's an assignment
0: he just doesn't know what it is yet yeah <laughs> so stay tuned further details <laughs> yes so um let's look at uh let's see let's um jump jump let's jump ahead a little bit in chapter 22 and pick up uh with verses uh, 17 through 21 would someone like to read that section okay.
4: I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. That I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. How far? Oh, uh, up uh, through uh, verse 21?
0: 21. Yeah,
4: and with the blood of your witness, Stephen was being shed. I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles.
0: So, it's interesting, he mentions the uh, the account of Stephen there too, because Paul, you know, he, he ref, reflecting back on what he was a part of at that point in his life and, uh, and the transformation that would result in um, just uh, anyway it's just seem to see of course we have a and, and we have a we have another account later like I say, in chapter 27. so we've got we've got actually three places in this book alone that we have a recording of Paul's conversion so it's uh, it's well documented I um I personally appreciate the fact that uh, you know the book of Acts written by Luke and you know and I always think about the fact that you know how God chose those persons to be writers of different books of the Bible you know Luke was a physician and uh, I'm just, i just—I think about you know—and uh, you know the type of person he might have been. You know, I think as a physician, what what does a physician, a physician usually has to write down a lot of records, keep keep notes on things, and maybe in, in that regard, you know, God choosing Luke to be the writer of this account here as well as the gospel—that um, um, you know, we really have a great record, don't we? I mean, we really have something really to go by. Um, so, and, and so as we look at the. Um, the days of the early church here, the book of Acts, we really have a great account. So after Paul returned to Jerusalem, the Lord appeared again to him as we saw this uh, account here. So Paul was appointed to be a minister to the gospel and to bring the gospel to, um, minister the gospel to the Gentiles and to bring the gospel to them. So, In fact, the other account, as I was mentioning in um, the later chapter, um, Paul was speaking to um, when he gave an account of his conversion. He was talking to King Agrippa, who was the great uncle of Herod Antipas, who was the Herod of the Gospels. He, and this um, the King Agrippa was also the great. Well, his great grandfather was Herod the Great, who um, who was uh, who ruled at the time of Jesus' birth. So, so we have uh, so Paul going in front of some significant leaders uh, with his testimony. And then going back to, um, to uh, Paul's uh, seeing the light, interestingly enough, all who were traveling with Saul um, saw a bright light that, that only Saul understood the words of the glorified Jesus because according to the accounts, others in his traveling party I guess it made it sound like, heard the voice, but didn't understand any of the words. And, uh, and I guess there's some differences in the, some of the verbs in the word. Um, uh, did I write this down? Let's see, back, going back to chapter 9, verse 7. And all the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So in um, fact, that only Saul saw the risen Christ. But the others saw the, saw the light, heard, heard some sounds, but didn't hear the words that Jesus was speaking to Saul or Paul. So it's interesting to see how that whole situation, how that was being played out. Well, let's pick this going back to chapter nine, and we will resume there, picking up a verse verses eight. Um, let's let's read verses 8 and 9, or someone would like to read that for us back in chapter 9, verses 8 and 9.
1: Paul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were
3: open, he saw nothing.
0: So they led him by hand and brought
2: him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither
0: ate nor drank. So Paul finally, um, yeah, so, so Paul finally um, arrived in Damascus, spent three days there without sight. And he didn't eat or drink, but I suspect he was probably in deep study and trying to figure out what what's going on and uh, meditating. So um, just an amazing event. So you
4: kind of think about the rest of his party too. Yeah, because there's there's more that are going with them. Than what right.
0: Are they yeah. And, you know, are yeah. In
4: fact, can I continue on this.
0: That's a good point. I suppose, delving in there, I, I don't know exactly what happened with the rest of the people because now we have Paul now held up in Damascus and maybe yeah, like I say, there are others with him. So here we begin to see a, a different kind of Saul. At the start of the chapter, like I say, it was, he was relentless, pursuing the disciples of Christ. Now Saul needs to be led around by hand to find his way to Damascus. We have a stark contrast here, don't we, of, of his situation. So now he's a, a man without sight for the next three days. So quite a change of scene. And we, uh, we meet a disciple named Ananias. And he comes into the, our story here with verse 10. And uh, let's look at these next three verses. Um, 10, 11, and 12. Would someone like to read those? And
2: there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him... Said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Then the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called straight, and seek in the house of Judas after one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold he prays.
0: Okay. And um, um oh and verse uh, verse twelve, want, oh,
2: yeah, yeah, that's okay. To him and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight.
0: So now we, we meet Ananias, and Ananias has seen a vision of the Lord, and he's told to go meet up with a man named Saul who's just arrived in town, held up at the house of Judas, and this man, Saul from Tarsus, and um, so let's uh, see, going on. So, um, anyway, so we have another supernatural event. This time the Lord appears in a vision. Ananias is told he is to meet a man from Tarsus named Saul and is to restore his sight. And we are told a little about Ananias over in Acts. Oh, we oh, told a little bit more about Ananias in Acts chapter 22, verse 12. I'll flip over there and see Acts 22, verse 12. I don't know who some of these people are. Uh, Let's see, back in chapter twenty-two, verse twelve, and a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there. So, Ananias was a man who a, had a, a, a good reputation, and I'm getting it sounds like he was, he was a Jew, but he also was a brand new believer in Christ, and. Uh, and uh, in some of the notes I was reading, in, I think one of, um, maybe it was uh, John MacArthur's commentary um, notes saying that uh, evidently he might, he was a leader in the Damascus church. So here is the man that um, was appointed to now to, to meet Saul. Going back to chapter 9. Let's see, 13 and 14. And I'll, I'll read these next two verses. But Ananias answered, "Lord, I have heard much, heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he is, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So word has gotten around about Saul's reputation, uh, gone ahead of him into Damascus, Ananias, and probably uh, I imagine a great portion of the believers in Damascus." Uh, knew about Paul. Maybe knew he was. Knew he, perhaps knew he was coming. And so I guess we could honestly see that uh, Ananias was reluctant to really want to, you know, to meet this man Saul from what he'd heard. But um, let's see versus Let's see as we continue on. Um, Word, so the Lord s- speaks to Ananias. Let's look at verses um, 15 and 16. Anybody want to read those for us today?
3: But the Lord said to him, "Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he suffered for my name."
0: Yeah. So this man Saul is now being commissioned to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. To kings and to the children of Israel. So, um, and this, and you know, it's kind of neat to see that uh, you know this point in Acts, we're seeing also the the Gentiles are becoming more the picture of the gospel, you know, beyond just the Jews. And uh, so, God is setting up kind of a this new direction, to, you know, the the body the body of Christ to be have both Jews and Gentiles as one body. Um, but. Um, So and also it's mentioned like uh, we heard from our reading, and Paul will also suffer for the cause of Christ. And we know that of course in his missionary journeys he suffered many, many things, and of course ultimately ending up in prison in Rome. um, So that we know that all that all came about in Paul's life, but it, it all made a positive impact. It really spread the gospel. You know, I just I've thought about that too. That you know all the prison epistles, and I thought, you know, the fact that Paul ended up in Rome, even in prison, and he was able to, you know. Roman, yeah, Roman guards and uh, uh, those officials in in uh, in Rome were they all got the gospel and uh, many came to vo- you know to believe in the Lord because of Paul being in prison and so um, it's a it's a wonderful plan <laughs> it worked worked very well so um, well, let's see can you so, moving on, we've got our. Actually, we're going to probably finish, finishing up with these last few verses. Um, let's look at, uh, actually, verses. Um, okay. Let's look at. Let's, yeah, look at verses 17, 18, and 19. Anybody like to read those final ones for us?
4: So, Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you in the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened.
0: So here we have... Now finally, this is kind of... um, Many things happen here. there's, There's a lot of things here in these three verses. So Paul receives the filling of the Holy Spirit. His sight is restored. He's able to move about freely now without help. Um, he, was be- he was baptized. He was strengthened with some food. And he was welcomed into the fellowship with uh, the believers there in Damascus. And uh, what a-, a wonderful transformation. And to see um, Paul's setting out on his new mission. As a, as a gospel to the Gentiles, and um, I thought it was this is just a, the whole. I think the whole story is just a wonderful account. I got uh, so much enjoyment reading through Acts chapter nine. I thought let me share some of the things that I learned along the way, and uh, that's kind of the reason the, behind this particular quick uh, trip through the chapter. So um, anyway, um, so we um, so he immediately and then then and, and, and so we don't forget. Um, where did we go? Paul doesn't waste any time, says verse twenty, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, "He is the Son of God." Paul wasted no time setting out. So, um, so we know now that uh, we see the beginning of his of his brand new ministry. Um, So that's um, that's kind of what I had this morning. I thought maybe open it up for any questions or thoughts if anybody had any. Back.
4: always, you know, really try to hang on to how Stephen prays that the sins of the people persecuting him would yeah. not be, you know, counted right. against them. And I always think you know, that prayer kind of had a part, or could have had a part in what happened next. You know, I mean, obviously God is sovereign and had it planned. Yeah. I, I also think, uh, you know, when people offend us, they hurt us, particularly if we're witnessing. But lots of times... Or less than that, you know, we, we hold grudges. We, you know, we have a prejudice against them. Um, they haven't met our expectations. Yeah. Um, and I just think of,
0: of Stephen. And yeah, I, Stephen really had a marvelous perspective at that point um, as he was being stoned. And uh, he, he just, you know, he just trusted in the Lord at that moment. And, um, yeah, it's just... Yeah, also,
4: also think about, you know, sometimes the Lord gives us opportunities as people near death to even go back and, and resolve conflicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, and, and yeah. take those opportunities. Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes when we're in the midst of it, I think, I think as believers, when we go through any form of suffering, you know, we're asking the question, why, Lord? And sometimes, you know, there's a plan behind it. There really is. Uh, so, um, so we, and I think, like you say, I think Stephen's prayer was a part of the launch of, impact of the impact for, for, for Saul. And At least he got to participate in it. You know, yeah. it's not that he changed
1: God's mind in any way, but you know, he was close enough to God to pray that, which mm. then was a participation yeah. in God's
0: prayer. Yeah, and like I say, as we looked at Paul's account later in Acts, he, Paul brings that whole thing back with Stephen, and, and you know honors that. So um, he said, "Yeah, that uh, Stephen." So uh, yeah, it's it's just a, a tremendous part of uh, the early church history that I just enjoyed reading. So anyway, that's um, that's what I had this morning. So uh, and if, and if, oh, let's get
3: this whole text just it, it, i i do find it like you fascinating yeah. yeah but you know i mean here we have god sovereignly acting but it's not god sovereignly acting without human agency yeah yeah and god always in his sovereignty utilizes human agency to further his cause yeah. and we need to you know i can could, I could I'm with Ananias, man. I don't think I would be yeah. Yeah. wanting to go. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yet, he went. Yes, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't his human gut that he was to. It was uh, the love for his Savior that caused him to go. Yeah. And in his mind, I think he was still at risk. You know, oh, he, he saw himself still at risk. Yeah. And, but trusted God for the safety. Right. But then think and think too of the privilege and the blessing as things unfold yes. And Paul is traveling all over. So well, he spent quite a bit of time with those disciples. Right? Yeah. I think there was a lot of give and take that was taking place in that. He was not going to meet a blind man. So yeah. You know, the guy was blind. He couldn't see who he was, was meeting. Yeah. But then that but it says you're going to give him the sight back. Yeah,
0: that's true. <laughs> so he's going to see you. He's going to know who you are. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Like, see, on a human level, we look, you know, look at things like, gee, had this not have happened, whatever. But you know, God's sovereignty. You know, God's will was up here working all along to bring about all these events. And um, it's uh, anyway, it's just uh, again, an exciting passage that I enjoyed going through and anyway, sharing with all you guys. So. Um, anyway, any other thoughts? We'll just, done. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account in the Book of Acts, as we see the transformation in the life of life of Saul to become your apostle to all the the Gentiles, and a man who went on to spread the gospel like no other. Uh, we just thank you for the, for this account. We thank you for. Um, uh, maybe that uh, there might be ways that we can participate in sharing your gospel as well, Father, that uh, the changes that it brings about and the changed lives and uh, through your the gift of your son. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thank you.